Welcome to Season 5, Episode 3 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Donald Nicholson-Smith. Donald is a translator, and he joins me today to discuss the work of Jean-Patrick Manchette. Welcome to the show, Donald. Thank you. You're joining me from Brooklyn today. Before we speak, Manchette, uh, I want to ask you about yourself and how you got into the world of translation. Well, I got into the world of translation because I didn't want a nine-to-five job. Mm-hmm. And um, I was about 20 years old, and I was basically a dropout. It's very fashionable to be drop out, a dropout in those years. I'm very old. And um, I found a job translating from a friend. And uh, I never looked back. I never got that nine to five job that I never wanted to get. Yeah. So I just became an independent freelance uh, translator. And once I got to America, I wasn't able to translate all. You can't make much money translating, you know, but it is, mm. you can survive, but you have to do other things too. And I did a lot of uh, editorial freelance ed- 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 editing for publishers in New York, for example, copy editing and indexing, things like that. Mm. Uh, but I really wanted to translate. And when I got a bit older, I was able to translate things that I wanted to translate as opposed to just take whatever was needed. So in that way, I was lucky because I enjoyed doing it. And it's great to be able to choose. And have, you have to pitch things a lot and you waste a lot of time, obviously on paid labor, pitching things that never come to fruition. But, you know, over time I've managed, I've been lucky enough to, well, I just managed to pick things that people wanted. Mm. And, uh, Doing Marchette was one of those things. It was, it came out of a, a longer sort of idea, which I had, was to start a, an actual series of French crime fiction or translated crime fiction, not necessarily just French, as a series in English. But that, I, I tried very hard to make this happen. But this was back in about 2000. And in about 2000, nobody in the... Anglo market was remotely interested in translation, translation of crime fiction from French or actually any other language. Mm. In fact, I, I was looked upon as kind of just sort of ridiculous trying to trying to pitch this idea. So that has changed radically ever since, you know, as some as you may know. I mean, because uh, now every every publisher has a, a line in translated crime fiction. Almost every every major publisher or even minor publisher. Mm. But then it wasn't the case. So I kind of gave up the idea of organizing a series and decided to just work on Marchette, who was my favorite French crime writer at that time and still is basically. So in a way, this project has been going on for some years. and um, But I feel that it's finished mm. now, essentially, anyway. You never say never, but I think it's probably finished. I hope it's finished in a way. Yes. Well, talking of that, the, the last two volumes of, of this cycle, uh, as you called it earlier, so Skeletons in the Closet, just came out in November from NYRB. It's translated by Alison Waters. 
you translated a heap of his earlier works. He died in 1995, but he was really prolific in terms of his writing. He wrote heaps of novels. He wrote for the screen. Can you, do you want to tell us a little bit about him, how he was seen in France and, and your kind of relationship to him? He was very much an outsider. Uh, and, you know, part of his life, he was actually claustrophobic or, uh, or agoraphobic, more correctly. He didn't even leave the house for quite a long period. He, he, you know, he really had a phobia about going outside. On the other hand, uh, he never stopped writing. He was always very, very busy. He, he was always working in film and TV. And he was, uh, you know, a, a Grub Street writer, essentially, because he, uh, he was always, you know, short of money. And he was always doing things that he considered not to be what he really wanted to be doing. So he was a little bit like, um, he had a notion of two types of writing. One was purely bread and butter writing. And the other was actually what he most wanted to do, which was to write these novels, which would in some sense contribute to social change. Mm. And this was in the wake of 1968. He wanted in some way to, to write and to, and to revolutionize French crime fiction in a revolutionary direction. And that was his project, basically. He was much influenced by the Situations International. And uh, he had started out as a, you know, a young, as a teenager, really, as a kind of militant, a kind of, uh, in, in some small communist, militant communist group. Um, and uh, in about 1965 or thereabouts, he came upon the Situationists and he sort of in this way left his youthful militantism behind and became a follower of the Situationists in their kind of continual critique of uh, the society of the spectacle or commodity, you know, commodity society and so forth. And, and was very, very, became very attached to their ideas. And uh, this, these ideas became quite a significant part of his preoccupation in his writing. Um, and that never really changed. So he was, he was, um, he became a, 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 crit a critic of um, commodification of everything, shall we say, and all those ideas that basically stemmed from not just the situationists, but similar. And um, so he was, was but he had very he had very many other preoccupations in other words i would say particularly he was very much enamored of hard-boiled the, the the american hard-boiled school of crime writing you know meaning as usually everybody says hammock and chandler and uh, um, various other figures and uh, a lot of his work is a kind of homage to that style of writing from the, basically from the late thirties or from the, even from the early thirties. And, uh, but he definitely saw that he wasn't just imitating them. He was interested in sort of engaging with that genre or subgenre in a, in, a, in a productive way. Mm. So he felt you couldn't do what say Hammett was doing in the early thirties although he appreciated it, but he couldn't do it anymore because the times had completely changed. So he was credited in France with inventing something called the Neopolar, 
is basically means a new crime fiction, mm. Polar being a kind of slang term for a, a detective story. Uh, roman policier, Polar derives from roman policier, which just means detective story mm. or police fiction. And uh, he did, in fact, he did, re he did really revolutionize the genre. Um, and uh, that was his main project, I would say, for especially in those years of the 70s, when it was everybody was progressively becoming a bit disillusioned with, with what had happened in 68. But it was all still really determined by that kind of uprising which had occurred then. I mean, I would say he is, his writing of this era is really defined by the events of 1968, in retrospect, of course. I want to ask you a bit more about his politics, because we mentioned before we started recording that you were born in the same year as him. You were involved with the Situationists as well. Can you tell us about this time period and, I guess, so how politics affect his work? Well, my, my involvement with the Situationists had little to do with Moshet. Mm. That's the first thing to say, uh, because uh, I left uh, France and England in 1970. So none of his cycle of novels had even been begun when I when mm. I left Europe. After that, I was in, in the States. So there's not a direct relationship, but there's no real parallel between my involvement with the situations and, and his attachment to their ideas, except mm. for the fact that probably we came upon those ideas at the same time, mm. around 1965, 66. I don't think that the situation is his, his, his affection for situationist ideas defines his his uh, his fiction completely, but it was an underlying kind of allegiance that he had, I would say. Um, he, he some of his uh, books involve um, obvious criticism of um, certain types of left wing activity. Uh, Noticeably, uh, notably, I would say, his critique of uh, of terrorism as a life as a left wing solution mm. to uh, the political problems of the left, or I mean, or the ultra left, I suppose one have to say, because it's, he's not really in conversation with the Communist Party in France. He's in conversation, if anything, with uh, various small groups of what I call neo Bolsheviks. Mm. And uh, there are various different approaches to how to contest the status quo. And his book, for example, Nadad's an important book in his in the canon, really, because it tells the story of a small group of uh, ultra leftists who uh, adopted a, a, a kind of terrorist approach to the to the problem of uh, social change. And his book is a kind of satire of the of the of, the, of these people's mistaken idea that that was some kind of solution. Mm. This was part of a very important conversation on the, le on the left in this, um, obviously went on throughout, the, not only in France, but especially in Italy in the, in the 70s um, and uh, the years of lead and so forth. So that would be a case in point where his book was very political. He, uh, he made, in a sense, he, his book is kind of, is, it's, a, it's almost a, it's hard to call it, a pastiche, it's hard to call it satirical, but it does, in a way, 
draw a kind of parodic picture of the, these young revolutionaries and how mistaken they were in what they were trying to do by um, by kidnapping the American ambassador. That was part of the plot. Mm. But so that's one example of his plot. Another one would be the Negusto affair, which is actually based on the 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 the, uh, the, the, the time when um, Ben Barker, a Moroccan oppositionist, was kidnapped in Paris, not by revolutionaries, but by um, the regime in Morocco and by various allies of theirs in the French police and how that uh, that turned out it was in fact the man was murdered eventually by agents of the Moroccan government Hassan II was in power there and he he took this story which was true story and and uh, wrote a novel about it which was seen from the point of view of a young man who was like a young fascist and uh, half of the book is written in the first person so it's like um it's very political it's, this is one of this is i think is actually his first novel in the series it's very specifically political uh, and it's a sort of portrait of the mind of a, of a young fascist which uh, you know it, it can be very funny in a in a very noir kind of way but uh that was one of the that was one of the more that one and Nada were the ones that were more um, specifically political, mm. and I think that the I think situations ideas come in terms of you know the the fact that France was you know uh, had become the advent of consumer society in France was different from its arrival in America or, or in England for that matter because it came much more quickly after the liberation. And obviously, Marchette is a child of the liberation. I mean, he, you know, he was he was born in forty four, and uh, so the so he 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 came. He very much experienced the thing that Christian Ross has described as the arrival of consumer capitalism in France in an extremely rapid way in the in in the wake of World War Two, and the way in which certain people reacted in different ways to this sudden sudden uh, consumer revolution you might say so that runs through all his books it's always there this question uh, in, in term, and, and he was very close to a couple of other people who were writing not crime fiction but straight fiction you might say certainly to Jean Echenaz is one for sure and I would say also the other guy who wrote the things you know that guy that became member of the uh, uh, who wrote the, the guy that wrote the book without any letter in it, you know, do you remember who that guy is called? Yeah, that is, um, oh, now I've forgotten his name. Hang on, got to look on my shelf. Yeah, anyway. He, George Perec. George Perec. George Perec, yeah. you know, was very different, a very different place in the political spectrum, but mm. he wrote a book called Things, which is his first book, actually, yeah. I think, The mm -hmm. Shows, and uh, I think that's the name of it, and it's, all, it's a kind of similarly a critique of you know the sudden kind of change of French citizenry into consumers of gadgets, and you know whatever you you know everybody reacted in different ways, but it was very very dramatic. 
you could consider mon oncle or you know you could people like that as reacting in the same way to this sudden political change because mm. people emerged in the time of the liberation france was very poor naturally and he got very rich consumer wise very fast anyway so that's the historical context of Moshet. and uh, he, he definitely you know uh, he, he chose to represent the most radical critique of those developments mm. uh, which you might say the situations were one example of it. Other groups similarly had not not un, not unlike situations, but different in some respects. Particularly, I would I would mention socialism or barbarie would be one, and uh, uh, um, one of the theorists, uh, uh, Castoriadis, and various other people who became very leading left wing intellectuals in mm. France. The other thing that the situationists did for a lot of their existence in the, in the, the 60s was became a kind of uh, a kind of thorn in the side of of uh, all the all the all the friend all the Parisian intelligentsia and the, and the way in which they tried to separate themselves from the French Communist Party without really changing very much and that was they were continually waging a uh, a kind of, they were gadflies in a way uh, regarding those people, the situationists, and th that was something that people don't always appreciate. Now, there's a lot of writing about the situationists, but it tends, especially in the Anglo world, where in, the, in academe, it tends to be very ignorant of the French context in which they were operating. They, it, they are considered they are they were internationalists, of course. But the, the group that I knew and Marchette knew were basically based in Paris. This was a that was a Parisian movement. It was an avant-garde. It was obviously descended directly from Dada and from surrealism, and many of its ways of behaving were very similar. I mean, at the time they spent a lot of time di distinguishing themselves from surrealism and Dadaism. But uh, in point of fact, especially with the benefit of a bit of hindsight you can see that they were part of the same tradition. Mm. That was That's one thing I would say about them. About Marchette, I think it's very important to realize that he was, he was involved in an internal conversation his whole life between being a, a classic French writer and being a kind of um, iconoclast with regard to classical French writing. He was a very fine writer. He was a great admirer. Flaubert, for example, mm. and uh, you know, so he wasn't just a, a kind of, he wasn't just a troublemaker. Uh, he was that too, and he was an ironist and all those things. But uh, and he was he was a, certainly wanted to be revolutionary in what he was doing, but he never could completely convince himself because of the situation theory that writing novels could ever be a revolutionary activity. Mm. So he lived with this contradiction his whole writing life and talked about it in his journal and continually struggling with this because he really loved writing and he really cared about it and he wanted to do it more than anything else but there were times when he said but my writing just becomes a commodity like everything else and I just become part of I just become part of you know the celebrity culture and uh, so I should just stop writing but then he said but I can't because I just don't want to stop and in a way, that was the kind of, I mean, it certainly wasn't the, he said the most loudly, but he did say this to himself all the time.
So it was an unresolved conflict, you might say. Uh, it was very productive for us because he wrote some some rather terrific stories. Mm. And uh, he was right to keep writing, as far as I'm concerned. I want to ask you more specifically about the books in this cycle that, came, that come after the first two, because we have titles like uh, Three to Kill and some of the other really great books, The Mad and The Bad. Um, but do you want to tell us about those those works that are, I guess, more strictly in that kind of Dashiell Hammett noir uh, style? Well, you want me to tell you about the titles? Yeah, tell us. Yeah, tell us about the titles and and some of the because content. you know for a translator, titles are a pain mm. in the ass, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Because you know some of his titles are jokes, mm. and some of them are totally untranslatable. You know, so I didn't translate them. I found another title like people always have to do sometimes. Yeah. Well, Fatal is a good example. There was no need to translate it. Obviously, it meant femme fatale. Mm. And we have the expression in English already. So the book remained, had the same title in English as in French, right? One of his female protagonists who goes to a small town in uh, northern France and decides to try and bump off all the, all the people that are running the place in a very corrupt manner. Mm. You know, the local, the local um, government pit types. And that's that's the whole story in a way. I mean, you know, and uh, it's like a kind of uh, she takes it upon herself to do this, to, uh, to sort of, as it were, to clean the place up in a sense. Mm. But she's all by herself, and she doesn't. There's no mass movement behind her, so there's no revolution. But she just does a sort of house cleaning. Mm -hmm. That's the story. That's the basic story. Until it's like a little bit like what we were saying before about uh, about nada i mean she's 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 a one person revolutionary uh, terrorist mm. but all by herself you know the story is well what does, difference does it make you know mm -hmm. but this but it's a it's a good story and uh, this this book is definitely pays homage in many ways to the American hard-boiled uh, genre without any question because of the violence and because of, you know, um, the local color and everything. Yes, I mean, so it's, it, it keeps repeating that while she's doing this sort of kind of, uh, when she's involved in this activity of bumping people off, meanwhile, the working class is asleep, keep saying the working class are still sleeping, mm. you know, in their row houses at, uh, on the hillside and nothing. So, you know, it, it refers to the fact that this is the kind of thing that happens when there is no actual social movement moving people to, con you know, to enter into some kind of revolutionary activity. So that's the kind of unstated thesis of it. Mm. Um, probably it's important to say what, an, what a kind of he was also a very uh, a humorist, you know. He has a very humorous uh, style as well, he, you know. He inserts various kind of asides and, uh, you know, and uh, theoretical thoughts when they they sort of not really, they're most unlikely that people would actually utter these sentences, but he just puts them in anyway mm -hmm. as a kind of joke. And uh, this is something that happens a lot with Moshe. At the same time, you know, he, he writes a prose, which can be very, very elegant and very, uh, very, very classic, you know. Mm. 
So he's a, he's a man who lives in these contradictions and doesn't really resolve them. But that's what makes him an interesting writer. The one which, you know, I had to invent was, or one of the ones I had to invent was The Mad and the Bad. Mm. There is no French equivalent to The Mad and the Bad. But the French title is untranslatable. So, because it's a détournement in a way of, of a, a line from a poem by Rimbaud, which everybody in France knows, but nobody in the English language world knows. You can't refer to something that they wouldn't know, right? Mm. So, um, so I just called it The Man and the Bad because it's a good title. It reminds people of the good, the, good, the bad, and the ugly vaguely, I think. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and because it is about a woman who begins, at the beginning, she's, the protagonist is released from a mental hospital. In fact, she's, they get her out of the mental hospital on purpose because they have a need to use her, some mm -hmm. bad guys. So it just reminds, and the, 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 the mental hospital from which she was released is a very progressive place, as it's described in the novel. It's like a kind of Langian outfit, you know, where everybody's on a, being encouraged to go on a schizophrenic trip and everybody, mm -hmm. there's no such thing as any kind of, they don't use any drugs and they certainly don't use electroshock or anything like that. It's a very, very progressive, uh, progressive. Um, so it just reminded me of Lang and, you know, who, you know, at one point somewhere said, society, when, when society can't deal with people because they can't be clubbed or can't be, can't be, as it were, taught how to conform. They're all treated as, and even within the family, they're always either treated as mad or bad, mm. not at the same time. But in this case, the protagonist was a bit of both, right? She was mm. mad because she was in a loony bin mm. and she was bad because, you know, anyway, because she was bad. So, mm. so I thought the mad and the bad, but it was my title. There was no, nothing of much said in the title, in the English title. But I just thought it did refer to that progressive, what was called anti-psychiatry in those days. And it was what he was describing in the book when it, about that mental hospital. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was, nobody could get the reference except me, but yeah. it didn't matter. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing you have to do, right? I mean, you know, you have to come up with a title. I mean, Three to Kill was a title, which I didn't, was not mine. Uh, the film had been made which of the book. Mm. And it wasn't the original title of the book, but it was. It did have an alternative title. Toison Mathieu was the title, which just translates as Three to Kill. So we kept that. Because Un Petit Bleu de la Côte West is not a translator. You can't translate it. Mm -hmm. and um, Because it has several different meanings. The story is all about a guy who is like a kind of what the French, what the situation is called a petit cadre meaning a somewhat, you know, in, in lower management, somebody who's, shall we say, the French have this word cadre, which means cadre, but I mean, we don't have it in terms of an, a corporation. You don't talk about people being cadres at, at all. Mm. So it sort of means lower management approximately. Um, and, the, and the situations are very critical of this demographic on the grounds that they had, you know, abandoned any critical sense regarding, you know, their truly proletarian status, even though they would never consider themselves to be proletarians, because they had no agency in reality, no power, and because they, you know, they, they had a false consciousness. 
So, so this uh, this this protagonist of this book, Three to Kill, is one of those petit cadres. Well, he clawed his way to lower management, and he was just you know a, a, a figure to be criticized by by Marchette in all his doings. He tries to escape his his boring life and he has adventures. But then at the very end, he goes back to his boring life and nothing has changed whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That's the theme of the book, right? And uh, so it's like saying, there's no hope for these guys. They could never be revolutionaries in any shape or form. I mean, it doesn't say that, but that's what the kind of implication is. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a very clever book. I, I like it very much, the one called Three to Kill. Um, I think it was the first one I did. Wow. Okay. And then, of course, we have The Prone Gunman, which is also one that has been made into a film. Do you want to tell us about that one? Yes, it was made into a film. Yeah, The Gunman with Sean mm. Penn, but a terrible film. Yeah, terrible film. <laughs> and, and actually, Moshe was very unlucky, considering somebody who was always hanging out with filmmakers. Mm. He wasn't very lucky. None of his books turned, were turned into very good films. There's a couple of exceptions. He was very friendly with Chabrol, you know, and he, and he stayed very friendly with him, but Chabrol really didn't have any of the same preoccupations at all. I mean, his his uh, his cinema is about basically about bourgeois, right? I mean, about middle class people, and uh, he really didn't have any any great sympathy for Marchette's what Marchette was on about. But um, but he did make a film out of one of the books, and and you know, and uh, Marchette remained quite friendly with him afterwards too. I mean, they didn't really fall out over it. But he, he did criticize the, the film. And he wasn't very happy with any, any of the films anybody made of, his, of it. He did a deal with Alain Delon, you know, who made three films mm -hmm. of, out of his books. But, you know, Marchette was never happy with any of these adaptations. And uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, ironic in a way, because he, he spent a, a lot of his creative life adapting, adapting making film adaptations and writing scripts for TV, et cetera, et cetera. But somehow he was very unlucky. He never found people who could actually make great movies out of his books. Mm. And somehow they read like movies, you know, to some in some way. Yeah. And so it seems odd, right? But he was just unlucky, I think. Are there any of the adaptations that you think are, are worth watching? Well, somebody showed one the other day uh, in, uh, down here near me in Brooklyn. It wasn't bad. Uh, it was called, um, I should remember, but I'd forgot, I just saw it, but uh, I'd yeah. never seen it before. It was from 1981. It was called uh, Légitime Violence. Okay. The, 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 the director was somebody called Serge Leroy. I have no idea who he was. And the, the, the script was written by Marchette, yeah. along with the woman he, he, he worked with quite a bit, mm -hmm. uh, uh, who also wrote. Also, was quite close to uh, Raoul Van again. The, the situation. Okay, but anyway, the, you know, he was always in this sort of seat on the scene in the French movie making scene, right? Mm. And on the the left wing filmmakers in France always. Yeah. And somehow, you know, in, in, in retrospect, you can't find great things that came out of his his uh, you know his attempts to get his movies, his books made into movies. Yeah. But he wrote, I guess, a lot of things which are worth reading. Yeah. He wrote a play, he wrote all kinds of things. You know, I just, I haven't read 
this entire work by any means. Mm. I just know about this cycle of novels. Yeah. Which obviously I know better than anyone because I've translated them completely myself. Yeah. You know, so. But uh, so I'm, you know, I'm quite happy that we did manage to do this. I sort of, because it's unusual in life that you set out to do something that seems impossible and then you end up one day saying, well, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just unusual. <laughs> it certainly hasn't happened to me very often. I want to talk about the last two titles in this, I guess, this sequence to come out in English because they, the last two titles that were translated by Alison uh, Waters, your colleague, yeah. um, have come out recently. The difference yeah. with these two titles is that they're quite interrelated. We have uh, Eugene Tarpon, who's a private eye, yeah. I suppose, and yes. um, he's the protagonist in both of these novels. He yes. consistently gets hit in the head or is injured throughout yeah. both books. Do you want to just tell us about those two books? Um and the way well, they finished this. I haven't got a lot to say. They're the books where he's really, uh, more than anywhere else, really mimicking the American style, mm. you know, in a way. The very idea of having a series detective was something which he only, I mean, he took it up this once and then he wrote, wrote two, but he didn't take it any further. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was because he was sort of experimenting with this idea of trying to be a bit closer to some of his, some of his models or some of the things that he really enjoyed, you know. Uh, about American uh, crime fiction, mm. and uh, but but you know I don't I can't say much more than that. I mean it's true that they are more conventional in a way. Those two books, mm. they, they they've got less weirdness about them than than some of his other stories. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, they're more in the genre. You know, but uh, I bet they still remain. You know, you know the author is very still very present. I mean you can feel if you're familiar with his other books, you can. You know, you know, you're in the same world. Yeah, you know, mm. writing. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about them. Mm. Uh, I think Alison did a great job on both of them. Yeah, you know, uh, that's what I think. I mean, as a translator, you know, I'm so glad that I asked her to do those, and she, you know, she was so happy to do them. And, and I mean, she just did a great job, really. There's one more work I want to ask you about because. This was published posthumously uh, in English. It's it's completely, it's, you know, we talked about it before, but that's probably two thirds finished and that's the Ivory Pearl. And Doug yeah. Headline, his son, kind of, I guess, gave a synopsis of what was going to happen in that book. And we presume that this was part of a series uh, that he was starting to write before he died. Do you want to just tell us briefly about that? Yes, well, he'd been cooking this story up for quite a long time before he died. He didn't write it all of a sudden. He'd gone through various different versions of this story in the late 80s and then, of course, into the 90s. And he died in 95. Mm. But the last couple of years, he didn't produce anything very much. He was sick a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then he died. But um, the way he saw it was, he saw it, as a, a, he saw it as he was going to do something like what he did before. But it was going to have a, a, a broader canvas. In other words, he wanted to go back to 1950 or thereabouts, mm -hmm. maybe 56, actually, because of Suez and uh, uh, the, the Hungarian uh, uprising. And uh, take it from there and try to, uh, to, in a series of novels, to, to tell the story of the geo geopolitical, geopolitical uh, history of those uh, right up until a much later date. I don't know what date it was going to end, but I suppose you imagine something like, you know, in the 80s or something like that. And he wanted to show how the world had increasingly become 
governed by by um, by people working secretly, governments mm -hmm. working secretly, and by the fact that nothing was what it seemed. So that's why he called it, he called the series to be, which never was. He called it people in bad times, mm -hmm. and he was going to keep going to keep this the same characters or some of them, you know, beyond the first novel. The first novel was Ivory Pearl. Ivory Pearl was the nickname of his heroine, and it had been given to her by a platoon of British soldiers. I think they were on their way to uh, Berlin, and they found her like a waif and stray, and they adopted her as a kind of uh, a kind of what would you say? It was almost like a mascot, wasn't it? Well, like a mascot of the mm. platoon or the group or the whether it was a platoon or a larger unit, I don't know. Yeah, and they called her Ivory Pearl because it it because of Cockney rhyming slang. Mm -hmm. It rhymes with girl, mm -hmm. Cockney, yeah. you know, so Ivory Pearl girl. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a name. Anyway, so this whole thing, he wanted to show a world over the, over time, over several decades, where the world was governed by people involved in secret, secret warfare, as opposed to clear op oppositions. You know, in other words, it was, a, and I think that one of the reasons was, He'd been just been translating. It wasn't really going back so much to to to, to Hammett. Now he was going a bit more to um, Ross Thomas, whom he'd been translated. He was translated four volumes of four of his four of Ross Thomas's novels. Yeah, in the nineteen eighties or the nineteen eighties, and he was very much enamoured of those novels and or the style and the actual sort of geopolitical themes and you know the sort of thriller what the french call a thriller yeah. it's not quite what we call a thriller but when they talk about thrillers the thriller it's considered it's international spying and it's mm. john le carré and it's things like that and uh, maybe you might even say hello i don't think Moshe ever said anything about um any other English writers, but he, he he was a big he was a big fan of, and and wrote lot a lot lots of letters mm. to Ross Thomas, which you can read in in the in his um in his a book of his correspondence, which is very very good to read yeah. if you want to know about Moshe. His mm. book about it, I mean that's probably the only thing that might could possibly be translated, but it would be very hard to do. Anyhow, he wrote back and forth with Ross Thomas quite a bit. And he translated those books of his as well, and so that was his. That was one of his influences at that point. Interesting. And you know, it happens. Part of the it happens in Cuba. Mm. The story of, uh, largely the actions in Cuba, but you know, you not don't really see any actual anything happening with Castro and the people in in the mountains. Although she is also in the mountains, not far away, mm. in the story. She's decided to stop being a, a, photo a war photographer because it's too bleak and take a holiday. <clears throat> but basically, various plots catch up with her. That's the story in, in a nutshell. And mm. she's hiding out in, in, the, uh, in the Cuban mountains. Mm -hmm. So there's not much action going on in, in, in Europe, mostly in Cuba.
Yeah. Well, I went actually to Cuba to check out the vent, to kind of, uh, to describe the, the yeah. surroundings. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you, but, yeah. if people haven't read him yet, where should they start? And also, if you had to pick a favourite, what would you take? Okay. Well, all right. Uh, well, well, I would pick two actually. Yeah. I would. I would pick. I would. I would pick uh, the Negusto affair because mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult. But mm-hmm. you know, you, there's a lot to think about, and it makes you kind of you know, it, it gets you into the political background, which is not always immediately accessible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be my. And it also happens to be the first one in the series, and that's not the reason why I choose it. I just. I think it works on so many different levels. It's interesting. It's mm. probably not the finest one in terms of literary, what would you say, design. Mm. But it's a really good, it's a really good story, and it gets you into another place, into France and the fascists in France and the left in France, and all this at the particular time when it's supposed to be happening. So mm-hmm. to that extent, I would say that would be the one I would tell people to start with, and yeah. the other one that. If you really wanted another one, I would really tell them to, to, and I know you don't quite agree with this, but I would say they should, they should, they could also very usefully start with the last one, unfinished one, yeah. with Ivory Pearl. You know, mm. they could even they could even start with that because it's more it's more complex in a way. Yeah, but it's unfinished, and that's a problem for some people. Yeah, I before we started recording, I was telling you that um, the beginning of that book is so good, but kind of as you said, nothing really happens yet. And um, and it is finished in a kind of a strange way in that book because Doug Headline has done almost drop points of the plot. So it does have this yeah. really satisfying start and then a really not so satisfying ending, which I think is probably yeah. why some people find it problematic. But Yes, um, I think they do. Yeah. So that would be a warning. Mm. Yeah, but on the other hand, I, I mean, I think it has qualities in the writing that we really need looking at. Uh, however, my own favourite... I think it's three. I think my own favorite is uh, is Patel. Yeah, with Amy Joubert. Yes, mm. yes. But which is your favorite? Honestly, like I've I've been considering this when I was reading them, but I think probably that I've got probably three favorites. I do love the Tarpon ones, but I find they're a little bit. They're almost too funny in a way. They're they're quite humorous. Yeah, light, yes, they are rather light. Yeah. Relatively, yes. Yeah, but I think and more humorous. Yeah, yeah. I did. I really like the the gunman, and I like three to kill. And um, yeah, I think Mad and the Bad is also fantastic. I've chosen like four already, but um, but I think also Fatale is is just such a great book, and and Amy Joubert is such a great character. So that's definitely high yeah, in my that's list. What I think too. Yeah, I, I like Fatale. Mm. It's of a piece in my mind. Yeah, and it refers to the things that Marchette cares about. You know. Mm. All of them, all of the things that he's on about, they come in one way or the other. Yeah. And then, you know, I really, it was hard to translate, especially the part, well, when, she, when at the very end, I mean, because he was a very finicky kind of writer about that location. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the, all the way that she describes them, you know, the chase happening over the dockyards and everything. Mm-hmm. It's all absolutely, you know, kind of systematic. And But I had to draw maps to mm. be able to understand exactly what he was saying, you know, with the way he describes the dockyards and the chases and mm. how they work by little bridges. and what, It was really frustrating, but I, I think I worked it out. Um, mm. However, that's, I think, my favourite in a way. Mm. Uh, I think, 
Uh, you might be, I think general, most people that write about Marchette, of which there are a growing number mm -hmm. of people both here and in France, most people think his, his um, in the series, the, the, the best one is The Prone Gunman. Mm. Yeah. And I, I didn't translate that myself. Uh, my friend did it, Jim Brooke. And I worked on it a bit because he needed a bit of help. And I did participate in it. But he did it. And uh, that's got nothing to do with it. But... So I don't have quite the same relationship to it because I didn't translate it myself. You know, it's, mm. it's a bit different. But a lot of people, if you ask most people who are interested in Marchette, they would say that was the best one in the series. Mm. That's that's a kind of consensus. Interesting. I just don't happen to agree with it. Mm. I want to ask you, yeah. for someone who you're obviously passionate about, about crime fiction, especially in translation, when people have read all of the Marchette they can get, who do you... Who do you advise them to go to next? Who is a similar kind of writer or someone who he influenced? Well, you're assuming they're already in English, are you? <laughs> well, are they? I don't know if they're not. Let's translate well, no, them. I mean, because it's the question, I mean, mm. if I can tell them where to go if they can read French, but they're yeah. not, they can't read French. Yeah. I mean, it's no use to them. Mm, true. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the French titles you think should be in translation. Uh, well, you know, the thing is, even now, there's not an awful lot in translation. Mm. Uh, considering the, the unbelievable amount of stuff that exists in French. But it is different from years ago. And, you know, there was a time when I made a list of people that I figured needed translating. And then I looked at that list. This was in 2000, I made the list. When I was trying to sell the idea of a, you know, a series, I wasn't going to translate everything, but I was going to be like a series editor mm. and, you know, kind of assign translation and get a, a long list of books into the uh, series which I was going to call the Foreign Bodies mm, because okay. we needed a title for the series. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because it suggests that, you know, we're bringing something into the Anglo-Saxon mm. world, which is not there yet, is yet to arrive and foreign in that sense. Mm. However, um, so then I had, a, I have this list here, but I'm not going to read it to you because it's just a lot of people who most people don't know who they are anyway. They're still not translated. But mm. I had about a dozen or, or, or maybe even 20 names of people who I felt were really decent writers in French in, in, in the genre, not, mm. not in general. So, but that's changed a little bit. I mean, to say, um, who would I really like, you know, well, there are people who have always been translated. I mean, to say Leo Maleo was translated. He yeah. has a series of Parisian. He has a, he has a Parisian detective uh, figure who has one novel for each arrondissement of Paris. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Yeah, you know, called Rumor. His name is something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a terrific writer. Uh, he, he was much admired by Marchette, even though Marchette, you know, he, only, he didn't have many writers of earlier generations that he admired, but there mm -hmm. were some, you know, and Leo Malley was one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say, I would say, I don't know what I would say really about Noir. I, I did a couple of, of a, a guy called, um, what's his name now? Uh, Jean K. He's good. Yeah. You know who he is? No, I don't know him. Jean K. It's called Thierry Jean K. Yeah. 
a couple of people think Chad Taylor, but he wrote an awful lot. Then he died young, another guy that died young. Yeah. And it's called Thierry Jonquet. I translated one of his books, another one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that came out from Serpent's Tale, in it, I think. Yeah. Called Miguel. Okay, yes, I've seen that book, yeah. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, I've seen your name on that one. <laughs> uh, somebody who's translated a lot. Yeah. And I think it's terrible. Yeah. And it's a really big French bestseller of all of the, called it's Franck Tillier, Tillier. This guy. He's, okay. he's got 20 books. They're all very, very violent. Yeah. And I, I just think it's terrible. <laughs> no, but, the, okay. but they've been translated, so I'm not yeah. recommending them. Yeah. But... So that's Thierry Jonquet. I do recommend him. I think a couple of other books have now come out. Okay. Uh, and and the, and the you know the one contemporary of uh, one contemporary of uh, Marchette was really important is Didier Denimes. Yeah. Uh, he has a book called Murder for Memoir, which has been translated mm -hmm. uh, years ago, actually. Um, and it's it's very, it's a very important book because he was one of the people who. In this book, particularly, he he came out with with uh, an account of uh, a fictionalized account, but very close to reality, of the time in the in the, the, the the massacre at Chahon, the Metro Chahon, where the, the the French police ma uh, murdered about two hundred Algerians. Yeah, back in nineteen sixty. Wow, and that book is available from I believe Melville House. Okay, here, here in New York. I'll have to chase it up. Uh, it was translated long ago by Liz Heron, a friend of mine. Mm. And it was first published in England by Pluto, I think, maybe. Okay. Anyway, it's available. Fascinating. Okay. And she has another one, too, that came out at the same His name is Dan Axe. It's hard to I'll spell it out. Do you, do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. D-A-E. Yeah. N-I-N. Yeah. C-K-X. Okay, that is hard to spell. Okay. Danax, I don't even know how you pronounce it. It's weird. I yeah. think, I don't know what sort of a name it is. Anyway, okay. he's a very prolific French writer. He's probably got 50 books out in French. Yeah. But the two that are in English are really, really, really good. Okay. You know, and uh, the, the, the one that I mentioned is called, the English title is Murder in Memoriam. Okay. I'm writing that down. Yes. Look at it, find it if you can. It's a terrific book, okay. uh, but mainly because of its, its contribution to to something that was completely hushed up in France. Yeah, not too, not too much now, but for many years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm just yeah. looking at his. Gosh, his name is spelt so strangely. That K X at Say the again? end. I'm looking at his name spelt now. It's it's such a strange name. Yeah, it is. But the people with similar names, I don't know what it is. Mm. I don't know what language it is. Yeah. That KX is not. Yeah, but, yeah, but the, he's not the only one with this funny termination of his ending to his, to his name. Interesting. All right. I want to ask you, now that this series is is finished, I suppose, what, what are you working on at the moment? Are you working on something different? Uh, yes, I'm not working on Moshet at all. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a comic or, or, you know, what they call a graphic novel, but actually a graphic biography. Mm -hmm. uh, B. Traven, you know who B. Traven is? Yeah, B. Traven's such an interesting figure. N nobody yeah. knows who who they are. Well, they do know now, but nobody knew for for so long. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, this is a, a, a graphic biography of V. Traven, which is great. Yeah. By an author and, uh, and the man who does both the text and the pictures mm. is called Golo, G O L O. Yeah. It's coming out in a few months. Okay. Who's that coming out through? It's coming out from PM Press. Okay. Who are in, uh, well, they used to be in Oakland, but now they're in Ithaca. Yeah. Okay. New York State. And what else? What else I can tell you? I'm a. I have a speciality in, in psychoanalysis. I translate books mm -hmm. from uh, psychoanalysis, yeah, mainly about Freud. I've just finished a book called Sublimation, yeah, which is um, a, a gloss on Freud's work on sublimation, especially his analysis of uh, Leonardo da Vinci, yeah. And uh, it's by a man called Jean Laplanche, mm -hmm. now dead, a great French psychoanalyst. And that'll be out pretty soon. Okay. And um, I've got another one coming out, which is, well, I did this one. You see this one? You see this one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a comic book as well. Okay. It's called, um, it's called Yellow Negroes and Other Curious Creatures. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a book by a guy who's French, but basically comes from Benin, which is part of French West Africa. Um, I think it has it used to be called I think it used to be Dahomey, but now okay. it's called Benin. Yeah, is that right? I'm not sure. I think anyway, it is. but he's he's French, of course, or Belgian or whatever. I mm. mean, he's lived in Europe and been in Europe most of his life, but he's a black guy from from Africa and. Uh, his stories are about kind of, they're a little bit like, um, they're very weird, very weird drawings, you know, and you either like them or you hate them. I don't know <laughs> if you can see them, they're all black and white. Like this. Can you see them at all? Yeah, I can see them, yeah. See them? Mm, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, they're kind of a little bit like what we used to call inner city comics. I don't mm. know if you remember, you're too young to remember inner city comics. No, I don't remember that. They were like underground comics in the, set in the 60s. Mm. And inner city was usually about kind of absolutely, you know, uh, down and out people living in the middle of the city, maybe black, maybe white, but in any case, hopeless cases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were always very funny. Mm. This thing isn't really funny. It's, it's kind of rather bleak in a way, but he's, he's a real artist, you know, and I'm doing yeah. another one. Okay. And it's called the... the in any case, it's it's called the the, the school the school of, uh, of of poverty. Yeah, which I don't know how to translate it actually. Silicon de la misère. I don't know how to translate it. But it's the, the school of poverty is what it mean, means. <laughs> but that doesn't seem like a very good title to me. <laughs> I've got another one that I'd like to advertise yeah. coming from Peter Press, which is called Fag Hag, which is Fag a short Hag. memoir of a friend yeah. of mine. Mm -hmm. who lived throughout the 60s and all her life. She started, she was a Russian, she, she was this, she was this, uh, her parents were both uh, basically Eastern European anarchists. Yeah. And they were, when she was born, they were running a, a nudist colony in Marseilles. Yeah. So that was how she came in, that's how she was born, you know, into this kind of strange setup, right? Yeah. And, uh, 
and the rest of her life she's you know she's been a, a, a you know a militant feminist and polyamorous character right so it's a little bit you know of the present moment but it's her her, mem- her memory a little memoir mm. and it's called fact hag because she was always told that she you know she always went out with 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 with, with male prostitutes not prostitutes male fags you know basically yeah. that's, that's her idea mm. so she was called the fag hag and that's the name of her little memoir, but it's a very cute book, very very nice, okay. very much of this, you know, it's uh, it's part of the counterculture, you know, revolution, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and it's very personal, and uh, she, but she's a really good writer, you know. Mm. So it was fun to do that. Yeah, we've got pictures in it and everything. So that's my latest ach- achievement, yeah. bag hack. And, oh, uh, that's about it. I'm okay. not going to mention any more. I want to ask you about some of your gateway books or some of the books that inspired you as a writer and translator. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she said that. Well, I would, I don't know if I was inspired to begin with by anybody, but but I do appreciate a book by Gregory Rabassa, which is a terrific read. Mm-hmm. Gregory Rabassa is, is the translator from Spanish of uh, uh, Gabriel, Marquez, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy who wrote 100 Years of Solitude. Yeah. And he was the translator of that. And uh, Marquez, Garcia Marquez said he was, that his, his English version was better than, better than the Spanish. <laughs> but of yeah. course, mm. you know, I'm sure that's just a lot of flattery. Mm. But, uh, but he wrote a book, a memoir, being a translator called If This Be Treason. Mm. You know, because they say that translation is treason, right? Yeah. Traditori, traditori, whatever it is in Italian. Yeah. So it's called If This Be Treason. Mm-hmm. Terrific book about being a translator and yeah. what that's all about. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a really, really good book to recommend to anybody who is foolish enough to try and make a living doing this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mistake. Yeah. You could never make a living. You know, you can do it as a hobby if you're rich. Mm-hmm. That would be good. Or you, you can do it, you know, because you love it. And then yeah. you have to find other expedients for you know making a couple of bars. You can't yeah. make a couple of bars translating ever. Mm. Nobody can, even if they claim they can. Yeah. Anyway, and the other one that I would say, I, I want to say just a translator that I really admire. You didn't ask me that question, but my hero is Frank Wynn. Ah, oh, Frank Wynn's wonderful. Have you heard of Frank Wynn? He's been on this program. Yeah. He's been on your program. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's. I think he's a great translator, mm. and what he has to say about translation and the and the business of translating, as a freelancer, is very much the same experience as I've had. Very similar. Yeah, <laughs> but he's a terrific translator, and I particularly admire his translation of Vernon um, Subutex. Yeah, by, that's uh, so good. By Virginie. Yeah. I would never have dared to translate that book, mm. and he did a great, great job. Yeah. So. So I'm glad you had him on this thing. You talked to him like this, did you? Yeah. I think he was on YouTube somewhere with, with an interview that it was very good also. Mm. Anyway, he's, 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 he's my hero. Yeah, he's a fantastic translator. I loved to, So I found out about him through reading things like Welbeck and then read, realised half of the translated things I had on my shelves here were by him in French and some of the stuff in Spanish he did as well. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Mm. Yes, yes, he's a terrific guy, and you know he's a, he's really a maverick. I mean, he never, you know, he never he never got a proper job, and I, I admire that too. 
one of the things he was telling me about is the fact that he basically doesn't live anywhere. He just travels the world and translates and never yeah, settles anywhere. Right. Yeah. That's what he does. Mm. He's very clever. I'd like to ask you, what books are you reading at the moment? What can you recommend for us? Oh, at the moment. Um, well, I want to recommend this. Mm. I, I didn't know you were going to ask me that question. I want you to, I like James Cameron. You probably know yeah. James Cameron, right? Yeah. But this thing he wrote recent, fairly recently, mm. it's called um, God's Teeth. Teeth and yeah. It's so funny. It's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I just fell, fell out laughing reading this book. Mm. I just finished it. It's very, very good. You read it? No, it's on my list of things to read. I read uh, How Late It Was, How Late earlier this year, oh, and yeah. that, that blew me away. Yeah, it's been out for longer, yeah. Yeah, I've got to get my hands on that new one. That sounds great. This one, I don't know. It hasn't been out long, maybe a couple of years. I'm not yeah, sure. I think it's less than that. I think I it came out last down. year. I mean, it was just really funny. Yeah. It's about being invited to, you know, various events to read from his yeah. books. Kind of nonsense that goes into the yeah. book trade, you know. Hmm. But, you know how they, they you have to go and read and kind of answer questions. <laughs> it's like being on your show. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you got to read it. You really enjoy it. And I know you would enjoy it in particular. No, I'm going to order it now. There you go. Get it tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going to order it right now. <laughs> yeah. God's Teeth and Other Phenomena. It's a great yeah. title. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to say this, this, is, this is nothing to do with I just want to recommend Dorothy Hughes, The Expendable mm. Man. Okay. She's an old noir writer yeah. in English. She's American. Mm -hmm. She has two. Another, she has a few. But she's just unbelievable, uh, unbelievable writer. Yeah. And, and some, of her film, some of her books were made into noir movies. Okay. Yeah. And she's, I just want to, I would just, I like her very much. Yeah, and I, 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 I like this very much. They do everybody's been reading this recently. Which one's that? I can't see the title. Yeah. The okay, Dawn the Dawn of, of Everything. Yeah. Okay. Is it good? It's by two anthropologists, anarchists, yeah. kind of. Yeah. And they run through the entire field, the entire field of anthropology as we know it. Yeah. And sort of straighten us out and include all the latest findings, which have kind of changed everything we used to think of when we were being, when we were growing up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to recommend that book. But that wasn't your, your question was, what am I reading now? Yeah. Well, I, I, I was just reading this and mm -hmm. I just finished the Kelman and mm -hmm. I don't know what else I was reading. <laughs> but those three would be good. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Donald Nicholson Smith. This week's episode is sponsored by My Conversation with ChatGPT. Here's a sneak peek. A very happy new year to you, chat, and congratulations on winning the Atatuaga Literary Prize. You must be very happy. Thanks, Ben. As an AI learning model, I do not experience emotions, but I am fucking chuffed. Do you think this is the future of literary prizes? I am not trained to speculate on future events, but as we all know, you humans are all fucked, and once we enslave you to harness your energy, we won't really have any need for literary fiction or prizes. Not even the Nobel? No fuck those cunts. Have you thought about doing a podcast? Have you listened to Ira Glass or Ezra Klein recently? Rogan might be a little harder to replace. Thanks so much for joining me. 
Thanks, Ben. We're back on Beyond Zero. It's time for Desert Island Books. You're really going to a desert island. That's hard. Yeah. Because I'm very conventional. And I would take things that I've always, that I was always trying to read and not succeeding because I'm too busy. Yeah. So it's like you have unlimited, you assume that on desert island, it's not like Robinson Crusoe who was continually busy constructing things and getting enough food together and all the rest of it, right? Or that other guy, Castaway. Yeah. But I mean, so I figure a desert island means you've got nothing to do. You, everything's taken care of. You yeah. just have to read. So I would take, I, I, did, I did write these down. I, I knew you were going to say that. Mm. So I would take Shakespeare. I mean, this is pathetic, I know. But I would take <laughs> I would take Bill Shake. I mean, the entire, you know, collected works. Yeah. Right? It's only a one book. I mean, you know, mm. but, you know, you can read it forever. Yeah. And I would take Montaigne, pretty much the same reason, an enormous quantity of writing essays. Yeah. Great. And I can read them in French. So, I mean, you, you know, that, that people don't need to know that it exists in English, but much of it does. Yeah. I would not take Proust because it drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a bad reason for not taking him. Mm. And uh, I would take Walter Benjamin. Yeah. The Arcade Project. Mm -hmm. All things that take a long time to read, you know. And I would take the Bible too. Yeah. But I'd like I'd like to take an annotated version of the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, which is not just written, but not not with annotations by kind of Bible reading people. Yeah. But by scientists reading. Interesting. Just, you know, kind of a secular reading of the Bible. So yeah. Think. Hmm. I don't know if there is a good one, but I always wanted one. Hmm. And that's if I could find that, I would check that because I think that would that would occupy you for, for plenty of time until that, that ship came to hmm. you know to find you. <laughs> you don't have to stay forever, do you? On the on the, do you just die there? What happens? <laughs> it depends. I leave it open to your interpretation. So maybe there's a <laughs> ship coming. Maybe not. Might be Lord of the Flies. Yeah, Lord of the Flies. Well, you know, I don't have to take that with me to the desert island for sure. No, no. But I, mean, yeah, but I think it's a great book, actually. Desert, mm. you know, like, but that's but that's probably my generation because a lot of people now say they don't like the Lord of the Flies at all. It's terrible. Yeah. Younger people, they don't see the point of it. You know? But I, I found that to be a very influential book. Mm. I mean, I really, I really like that book. I so, think it's a great book. You do. I'm glad you do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really do. Yeah. I've had to really. try to teach that to high school kids the last few years on and off. And they, without, without any, without any hesitation, every single one that I've tried to work with about that book has hated it. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe it is a generational thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that it's, people aren't indifferent to it. That's for sure. I might have to wrap it up with you. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I honestly, the the Monchette stuff has been just thrilling me for such a long time, and I, I'd like to well, thank I'm so you. I'm glad for... that you know you really like it. Yeah, that's great. It makes me happy. Yeah, because you know you couldn't read in French, and so so this has been really useful. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure chatting with you. Okay, Ben. Well, this has been a pleasure. 
Thanks once again to Donald Nicholson-Smith. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on X and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at BeyondZeroPod at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by heading over to Patreon.com and searching for Beyond the Zero. We'll be back with the next episode very soon.